0: Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Each week, we hear real-time stories from athletes and CEOs on how to maximize performance through an endurance mindset. Let's get started. Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Today's guest is a South African ultra-distance triathlete who is a 2016 Ultraman Florida champion and a 2017 Ultraman world champion and I believe is currently training for the 2023 Ultraman World Championship. Welcome, Rob Gray. Welcome, Rob.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure being here.
0: It's uh, great to have you on the show. And so, you know, we love to talk about endurance and the endurance mindset on our podcast. And so I I have to ask you, Rob, tell me how your endurance mindset has impacted your life unexpectedly.
1: Um, I think it probably goes back to like the, one of the very first races where I, I realized that sort of these ultra endurance things was a, a thing that I was good at. And at the time I was racing cross country mountain bikes and these races are usually about 90 minutes long, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe two hours. And there was this uh, event in England. I was living in England at the time and there was this event in Bristol called the Bristol Bike Fest. And they had this 12-hour race format, which at the time just seemed crazy to me. So I was intrigued by this. And the, the way that it worked was it was basically a three mile loop in the woods. And you would start I think we started at about 3 p.m. or something and you would just keep going until 3 a.m or something like that. And so a lot of it was in the dark. And I I started off and in these cross-country races, I, I wouldn't, I would never win them. Right? I would, I would come maybe top ten. If I got ninth place, that was a, that was a good deal for me. So start off this race, and I'm sort of hanging in fifteenth, fourteenth place. Then about five hours in, I start moving up the ranks, I'm sort of in eighth or ninth place. And then at like eight hours, all these guys just start dropping off like flies, and I'm just moving up, moving up. And it's not like I sped up; I just, uh, I just, you know, stayed constant and i i started you know improving my place i was probably in third or fourth place and then i just suddenly hit this the depths of despair so i was feeling great feeling great the depths of despair but because it was a 12-hour race i just kept going and you know ordinarily if i was on a training ride i would just go well i'm, I'm done for the day this is clearly a sign i've got to stop i'm just done and i would have stopped but because i there was this artificial construct of a race I just kept going because I knew I had to keep going for 12 hours. And I just kept just sort of plodding along for maybe another hour or so. And then all of a sudden like this, I just snapped out of it and I was I was up again. And then it just, it was like the cycle of highs and lows that just kept on going. And it just, it was just this pattern that continued. And, and, and that's sort of where the bug bit me. And I've noticed that pattern happen in every single really long race. You have these highs and lows. And to me, that is one of the biggest life lessons that endurance sports has taught me is that you're going to have good times, really good times. You're going to have really bad times, but neither of those things last forever. So, you know, when, when you, when your life's on a high, uh, know that it's, it's, it's not going to last forever. I see some people that everything's going their way and they, you know, maybe, I don't know, know, job wise, financially. And then they just spend their money like like it's never going to end. And then something happens; they lose their job, and you know, they didn't expect it, which is um, you know, p- perhaps short sighted. Same same. I have friends of mine who you know, who get you have gone through really 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 bad times, and you know wh- when you're in those really bad times, you know, people you know, sometimes feel like they're never going to make it out of that, and can be you know really um, you know anguishing, mentally anguishing, and if I could just provide, you know, people. Maybe there's someone listening who's going through a really, really tough time, and they just feel like there's no end in sight. And the end, there is always an end in sight, and it always gets better. And if you're in the depths of despair, it's you know, the chances that you just wait it out, and it's things, things are going to get better eventually. And that's that's really helped me uh, navigate both the good times and the and the really tough times in my life is knowing that, yeah, you know, the need. It's none of it is uh none of it's gonna last forever. And it's been a really great life lesson for me. And the endurance bolts taught me that.
0: It's a great life lesson, Rob. And I'd love to dive in a little bit deeper on the on the the tough times part, right? So we've got an audience member out there who's struggling, and it it's tough mentally to sit there and just be optimistic that things are gonna get better. Are there things that you've done, sort of mentally or physically, that have helped you get through that mental stuckness or that mental tough time and, and help you see that sort of that the light's coming?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it's uh, usually you can, you cannot see the light coming And the same when you're in an endurance event and you just, you feel like, yeah uh, you know, you're done. You, at that point in time, you don't, you don't know that you're going to get better. You don't know that things are going to improve. And you, know, all you can do is just take one step at a time. It's just one step forward, one step forward in left foot, right foot. And so when I'm in I'm in one of these endurance events, and that's happening to me. That's literally all I'm telling myself. I'm not thinking about, oh, I, you know, maybe in an hour's time I'm going to feel better, uh, or you know, hopefully this time, you know, hopefully this is going to end soon. And and i you know, I've got faith that it's going to happen. I'm just thinking, just keep moving forward, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. You know, take take my fuel. Same in life. It's just instead of left, right. Left foot, right foot, it's just day by day. Let's get through this day. Just get through this day. And um it's similar to just going, you know, left foot, right foot and eventually eventually what you know, you don't know when it's gonna happen, but eventually you just snap out of it. And it's it's about trying not to overthink it, really. It's just take it by take it day by day, even hour by hour if the day seems like it's uh too too long of a of a of a time, you know, time span.
0: That uh, that's well said. And you know, I find Adding some more movement into my day. If I'm going through a struggling period or a struggling day or, or some situation at home or at work, that just like get outside, go for a walk, go for a little, like just get some sort of movement in your body and that kind of at least alleviates some of the stress. Um thinking about from the other side, when things are going great, any mental check-ins or or thought process that you go through when you say, okay, I'm recognizing that, or or do you not realize how great it is when we're in that great moment? Can you talk about that end of it?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think when when things are going really well, uh, if I'm racing, it's it, I, I'm just telling myself to not overdo it because it's it's so tempting. If you're feeling great and you're at I don't know like 50 miles into an Ironman, it's really tempting just to just to ride harder than you should, and you feel like you can. You absolutely feel you got so much in the tank that. Yeah, four hours later, it's going to come back to bite you. And a you know, similar thing in in life. Yeah, things are things are going really well. Um, yeah, I really enjoy it. So I, I appreciate those moments first of all. So if, if things are going really well, I it, it really makes me appreciate that things are going well, and I just acknowledge that in life. And it's not like I'm worried that they're going to that the good time is going to end. But it's you, you're similar to how I shouldn't overbike when I'm feeling good I don't sort of uh you know, overdo things when things are going really well in life it's not like you've just gone you know spend money like crazy or be irresponsible or whatever you know, things would would equate to uh over biking. um but I still acknowledge it what you know when I'm in a race and things are going great i yeah I enjoy that that it's that I'm feeling good and I acknowledge that I'm feeling good but I just don't uh I just don't overdo it and you know same same thing in life, just really enjoy it, appreciate those moments for when when they're happening, just because you know that at some point it it's probably going to end, so that's that's really what that's taught me.
0: certainly. do you have any specific examples of how you've used this endurance mindset in your family or your work life?
1: yeah, I think i mean this this year um it was, uh, you know, has been, it, there's been a huge amount of uh, change for me this year and uh, and for our family. So I was just, you know, in terms of, in terms of career, I've, but most of the jobs I've had, I've, I've been at for quite a long time. So usually at least, at least five years, you know, some of them, I, I was, a, I think I worked at Microsoft for maybe eight years and I was at Google for 13 years. And then uh, in, in March this year, I left Google and I wasn't sure what, what the next step in the journey would be. And I'd always thought of, uh, you know, maybe I would, you know, do a, uh, in startup, you know, of course I've been coaching, uh, sort of part-time, uh, for you know, probably 10, 10, 11, 12 years. And I decided that I would invest all my time into, uh, you know, spending more time coaching. And, but at the same time, just from a, a financial point of view, uh, your coaching is you have a, a job, uh, coaching Ultraman athletes is just from a financial point, point of view, very different from a full-time job at Google. And so it, it was, it was quite challenging to try and figure all that out. And at the same time, figure out what was the best route for the uh, for for the family and and what what we would do, and then we just decided to it, it was yeah you know, probably two or three months of you know just yeah uh, just just sort of resetting, not really thinking too much about what was next and just seeing what would what would unfold. And uh, yeah, after about three months, it was you know, starting to get uh, you a little bit more. Um, I don't, it, it just felt a little bit more dicey because there were all these, all these tech layoffs. So the market was suddenly flooded with uh, people with similar skill sets to mine. And all the tech companies in the industry that I'd been working in were, were sort of very nervous about the, just the general economic situation in the US. And so for us, we, we had to, we had to decide whether we just, continue whether I, whether I would co- continue on the, the sort of career path that I'd already been on for so long, or if I'd make a completely different change and just really think about what I wanted out of life and what really motivated me and you know, really made me uh, you know, feel happy with my life day to day. And I, I was just kind of burnt out by the whole, by the whole you know, high-tech industry. And so we decided just to make a complete change, take a, a huge leap of faith, and literally change everything. so we uh, we waited for the kids' school year to end in in May, and then we decided, let's just go live somewhere where would be would be just sort of a very random place to live that we that very specifically doesn't have any real high-tech industry and where we can really follow our passions. And so we decided just to uproot everything and move to Thailand, which is what we did. We just affected that in uh, in, in April, basically. And then in July, in July we uh, we arrived in Thailand. So new school for the kids, uh, new country. We didn't have anywhere. We didn't know where we were going to live. So we just had uh, Airbnbs booked, like a series of Airbnbs. And we thought we'd just figure it out when we get here because you, you can't really... Decide on a place to live if you've if you've never really spent a lot of time there other than a vacation. So it was this was the sort of day by day you know, left foot right foot thing. We're just like we don't we don't really know, but we we know we're going to be following our life passions and doing things that are fulfilling personally. And we're taking a massive financial risk by doing this. We're taking a, a big risk by moving the kids into a completely different school system and. Yeah, we just we just use the the compass of you know what, you know, what is what is really going to fulfil us, uh, and let's not make the, let's not make it about money, and let's not make it about career goals or ego or anything like that. Let's just see what unfolds. Yeah. And yeah, it's been it's been quite an adventure. And yeah, for me, it's it really I I had no idea what I would be doing, and so of course I still have the coaching business. But one of the interesting things that uh, that happened is that a uh, one of the guys that I've been coaching for a very long time uh, is the CEO of a uh, a manufacturing company in France and Belgium, and they make this sort of high end uh, kitchenware and kitchen appliances, and he he needed help with expanding their business internationally, and he asked me if I would uh, be interested in in doing that and uh, and for me that was just a totally fascinating thing because it's an industry i really haven't worked in at all manufacturing but it's something i'm really interested in like how global manufacturing works uh it's it's basically like a, a luxury goods brand so it's it's and it's real things that people use every day which is very different the whole world of software i know it's real but it's not really it's just kind of virtual stuff you know and uh you know, when I was touring the factory, you know, they, these, these factory workers thought it was, uh, they thought it was quite strange how excited I was at seeing real things being made in a production line and, you know, watching end-to-end how these, you know, waffle makers and, you know, you know fancy kettles and all this stuff was being made and packaged and shipped off. And it's just an area I, I know nothing about. And, but I'm learning, I'm learning uh, every single day. And for me, that's that's really what inspires me uh, is to to be out of my comfort zone and learning something new. Which it felt like before, I really wasn't learning much. It felt like I'd, I'd been in that industry for so long, and I, it, now it feels like I'm learning something new every single day. That's fantastic.
0: Um, well, congratulations. I uh, I have to ask you this question. Like, walk us through the emotions. Right? There's the tactical piece of yeah, we picked everything up and we moved, but yeah. You and your family must have gotten, probably, still going through the emotional side of when this became an idea to when you actually executed it. Talk to us about how you those emotions and how you handled that.
1: A lot of the emotions came from the, the unexpected things. That happened along the way, and it's it's similar to like when I when I do a race like Ultraman, it's over three days. You have no idea what's actually going to be in store for you, but you've got a general idea. You're going to swim, bike, and run around the Big Island of Hawaii, and you, you you've got a rough idea of your strategy for doing that. But you have no idea what like what vehicles are going to be on the road. Where, like there's dogs that run across the wind. The, the weather just plays complete havoc with whatever plans you did have. And this was a this was a similar situation. Like I, we we knew that we wanted to go do this thing, but we yeah you know, we hadn't yet you know, planned everything to the to to the nth detail. And a lot of it you just assume with common sense is that it's going to happen. So, for example, we uh, we decided we would just sell our house in Colorado, and that would that would set us up for the for the next few years. And uh, yeah, I mean we've. Before we tried to sell it, we had have realtors calling us all the time, wanting us to sell our house and saying they had people interested even when we didn't want to sell it. And so we had assumed it would just sell quickly and we put it on the market and assuming it was just sell within a few months. And yeah, just yeah, people came around and looked, huge amount of interest and it just didn't sell and it just didn't sell. And then eventually it got to the point where you got to decide, well, do we, do we really drop the price on this house or do we... Do we just sort of stick it out and try and survive, uh, but not you know not go below what actually makes sense for us? And so that was a that was a, a very big obstacle because you, you you go from a this place where you assumed you would be financially very stable for at least a couple of years to starting to really worry about what's going to happen four months from now with just with the cash flow of everything. And our plan B was, oh, well, we're just going to rent our house out, and then that's and then that didn't happen either, and it was yeah you know, for for whatever reason, and I and yeah you know, I, I believe that there yeah you know, that eventually it will all turn out uh, for whatever reason it is that that we uh, that we didn't sell our house, um, but yeah, you know, and for for me, it, it, in the end, it's probably a good a a good thing, but. Yeah, you know, those those emotions went from hey, we're going to go have this awesome time in Thailand and everything's going to be great, and we're just going to be you living the dream for three years. To uh, you know, oh my God, are we going to actually survive the next few months? And yeah, you know, a lot of a lot of worry and stress related to that, and and trying to figure out what we're going to do. But that yeah, you know, for me, that stress is is yes, it, it's a negative emotion, but it really spurs you to action to try and figure things out and and it's definitely not comfortable and i whenever i'm not comfortable i know that i'm 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 doing the right thing and it's it's kind of forcing me to be innovative or you know, ingenious or coming up with some sort of plan of how we're we going to survive and so it's yeah it's those are the emotions it's you know living the dream to you know, you're living the nightmare the next you realizing you're gonna be living the nightmare unless you unless you solve it quickly so uh still and still now it's it's a lot of ups and downs just with getting settled into a new country it's um your yeah. kids your know, new new school trying to make new friends and uh yeah we, even from you know my training it's yeah you know, there's there's amazing training facilities here, but in reality, so we arrived in rainy season um it's yeah, I, It's hard for me to train outside some days. It's just like it, it rains so much. It's literally the streets are flooded. Like you'd be running in a foot of water. So I've had to try to figure out similar things to living in Colorado and trying to train in the snow, uh, which I never expected in Thailand. I just expected it would kind of be like Hawaii and it would be easy to train every single day. But it's a lot of unexpected things that you know, we've had to overcome, but it's what it makes it interesting.
0: Well, I, and I think to your point, going back to racing and training and endurance, right? you've had these emotions and these feelings and these OMG stress points in that life. And so you can kind of relate, okay, this isn't as bad as when I had three flat tires and I dropped my chain and I, you know, crashed my bike in the middle of a race and had to get up, you know, bloody knees to finish. Um, that's right. So why
1: Thailand? I mean, it's a, it's a place we've been on vacation a few times and we've just, we've always loved it. Every single time we've been here, we, we always wanted to stay. And usually we've just tried to come up with some way of extending our vacations by, by a few weeks, whenever we've come in the past. And we had, so that, that's one reason we've been here. We, and we like the place. The second reason is we, we've never seen much of Southeast Asia and when we were living in London, London itself is a great city, but what makes it even greater is that it's a transportation hub. So you can be on a plane anywhere in Europe within you know, one and a half hours or even the Eurostar train. So it's you know, we, we got to travel Europe so much just when we were living in that, in that hub. And we thought at some point in the future, we'd maybe want to live in Singapore or something like that. But when we were looking into it, uh, Thailand. So we're in Phuket. Phuket has great schools. So it's got many, many really good international schools. Uh, and the airport is so well-connected to Southeast Asia. It's You, know, you can be anywhere. Your bank, Bangkok's like just over an hour away. Hong Kong's three and a half hours away. Vietnam, Cambodia, our neighbors. So it's a really great hub just to be able to explore, you know, even if it's short trips of two, three, four days, um, being able to explore the area. And then also doing, I really love the ocean. And so that was the, I love Colorado, but that was the only thing I didn't like is that I to get to the ocean would always be some sort of a trip. Whereas if I, did, I wanted to go to the beach, I now I just go to the beach. If I want to go scuba diving, go scuba diving. And uh, all these sort of water-based spots are literally on the doorstep now. Whereas before I'd have to figure out a trip to make those things happen. So just in terms of life passions and things I, I enjoy doing, I could do all those things, and the the surprisingly, the training facilities are actually incredible. Yeah, there's like you know, 50 meter pools everywhere, mm. and in Boulder, which is you know allegedly the triathlon capital of the world, there's not even a 50 meter pool that's open all year round. There's there's one that's open in summer, and that's it. Everything else is 25 meters or 25 yards.
0: Interesting. It sounds very much like Cape Town, right? Ocean. Yes facilities, warm weather. Um, yeah. So I'm going to shift gears on you a little bit, Rob, and I, I have to ask this question. What was it like being at Google for the last 13 years? I mean, it's talk about technology transformation and this yeah. huge entity going from you know, a search engine to what it is today. What was it like on the inside?
1: so, the reason I joined so i when I left Microsoft, I swore I'd never join a big company again, and then I was I did a few startups between Google and Microsoft uh, between Microsoft and Google sorry, and i I kind of got the job at Google by accident. I'd actually started my own company doing marketing strategy consulting and stuff like that. and at the time, uh, this was I don't know it must have been two thousand nine or two thousand and ten uh Google was especially in europe was was still quite small, and they needed help with their European marketing efforts. So I took them on as a client, and I was only i w- I would be in there maybe two, three days a week, and then, and then things really started ramping up and i I was spending four days a week and then five days a week and then the guy that I was doing the workforce said to me, "Look, you're here every day, you may as well just join um and I, even though I'd sworn I'd never join a big company again, the reason I did join is because it was like a startup so the the culture and the way of working was exactly like a startup. Uh, it just didn't have any of the risk because it was basically like having a startup with really, really, really rich parents that could bail you out if anything went wrong. So we got to do all these experiments and try new things and um, you yeah, really you' not have to be afraid of failing at all because the worst thing that would happen would you just you know, can the project and do another one and so that sort of experimentation and that that sort of startup feeling was really what i loved about it and what i tried to do it in the first place and even now like there's there are still pockets within google that are like that although you know for the most part it is like another big company now and they they really put a huge effort into trying to keep that whole startup feel and startup culture it's just when you got a hundred thousand plus employees, it's really, really, really difficult to do that, and inevitably, you're going to have the majority of of the company struggling to be like that. But that was that was what was really great about the place, and uh, and the people. I, yeah, I would say the yeah you know, for the most part, the the people were just really, really amazing. Part of it is the way that they they hire, so the hiring process. Has got very uh, strict criteria, but not in the areas that most companies have. Like most companies will will mainly be around the job role and your expertise and your qualifications and all that sort of stuff. And that that is obviously very important at Google. But this the non negotiable aspect of a new hire is really their uh, their character and their personality. And there's sort of thirst, their curiousness, their curiosity, and their thirst for knowledge and improving. And there's, when you're interviewing people, there's certain questions you ask to really try and understand what type of person they are. And they've been really successful at hiring those types of people. And that really makes a huge difference when you're sitting around and with eight other people and you, you're having a, some sort of constructive argument or uh, you know, even some sort of difference of opinion, it's always it always seems very positive because you have respect for them uh, as a as an individual that they you know they have uh, you know the the intelligence they have an analytical mindset because you know they had to go through that recruitment process and it it really in those difficult situations at work that. That sort of high bar that they have really made a difference to the the positivity you feel on a on a daily basis working with your colleagues and yeah it, it's uh that's probably the, the the biggest asset they have is that that culture that they've somehow managed to still maintain even though they're a huge company now
0: and my next follow-up question on that is what did your coworkers think of you and your ultraman competing competing and all the training you're doing and flying off to do these races. Like what was your coworkers' thoughts on that?
1: I mean, some some of them, like, so so when I joined Google, there's a lot of people who do stuff like that. So like, you know, for, for, that's another part of the hiring process. Like if someone doesn't do something strange in their, in their personal life, they usually, they usually wouldn't even get hired. So you have, I mean, you have people that are like, uh, you know, like, you know, top, top in their field of, you know, violinists and you know, concert pianists and stuff like this, or, uh, you know, astrophysicists that's like in their spare time. So there's, there's, there's quite a breadth of, uh, you know, individual who sort of exceeds normal sort of types of hobbies. Right. So that so that's, that's sort of a starting point. Um, when i joined i i i heard there was some guys there's a, a 10k swim in san francisco that they do and i was like man that's that's crazy i got already done iron man's but i'm like this is a 10k swim that's just nuts i, I can't believe I, well, maybe one day i'll do that and so that's when i when i when i joined but yeah by the end i think they like once they hear about what ultraman is it's i mean it does sound kind of crazy when you just put the the distances out there um And then, yeah, on the other hand, there are some, like I did I did a a world relay, a swim record with seven of my colleagues back in 2019, where we, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, we swam, I can't remember the exact distance, like over 900 kilometers in 10 days. So we set the the Guinness World Record for the longest swim relay. And I mean, I thought that was kind of a, a crazy idea to begin with, but there was someone else who thought of this, doing this thing. And... That was a, I mean, that was a logistical endeavor of note, but yeah, for the for the most part, they 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 think it's a little bit nuts, but it's there, there's other people that do equally sort of uh, extreme things.
0: We tend to uh, cluster together, don't we? <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly. Um, exactly,
0: So, Rob, I'd love to know how you how did you get into Ultraman? Like, take us back to sort of childhood up through getting into Ultraman.
1: Well, I, I grew up in South Africa and. Uh, team sports are are the big thing there. So I I grew up playing rugby, and they've yeah you know, the, the rugby World Cup has just happened in South Africa. Won the World Cup, uh, but the and you're similar to to the US, I, I would equate it to U S. swim kids who are swimming when they're six years old, and their parents take them to practice, and they swim for like two hours at a time every single day. It was like that for rugby. So I was I was mm-hmm. playing rugby from when I was six years old. We would have two practices a day at school. Like when I was seven or eight, we would do that two practices a day. And then sometimes, even during the the school day, if there was a like a period where they would have uh, your music or a class like that, then the rugby team would go and practice again during during the when everyone else is doing music or drama or whatever something like that. So sometimes we'd be practicing three times a day, and I I played that through. Throughout high school as well, but it's really I I, I was I, I was too small to do it, you know, after school uh, because you know, these guys are like, huge. You know, they'll they'll be like yeah you know, six, six foot five and like two hundred and fifty pounds, and yeah I was I, I, yeah I wasn't big enough to really do it professionally or or full time after that, uh, but I did track and field and I did swimming and I played water polo I played tennis a lot no no real endurance sports i did a little bit of 800 400 meter running which is you know, probably the, the the most uh painful event i've ever done in my life 400 meters it's uh, i know it sounds short but it's I'd, I'd, i think i'd rather run Ultraman than run a 400 meter race and um, and then yeah i didn't i didn't really do many endurance sports Like that are that are super long. The seed was planted there because there's this there's this event called the Comrades Marathon in South Africa. It's 89 kilometers, a bit further than the Ultraman Run. It's what 50 56 miles, I think. It's between these two cities, and it's been Mm. it's been going for over 100 years. Mm. And every year they would broadcast the whole day on TV. And this Mm. is we only had three TV channels, and TV would only start at 6 p.m. every day, except on the day when the Comrades Marathon was happening. Would start at five a.m. and it would just be on the whole day broadcast. From yeah, you know, from when I was four years old, I used to watch this thing. So that the seed was planted, and I'd that sort of got me interested in endurance sports. Um, when I moved to London in in two thousand, I wanted to, I, I sort of needed a some sort of active hobby, I and mean, there was a forest near my house, and my friend and I had started doing mountain biking. And we, on weekends, we see they put on these cross country races. And because we saw them racing all the time, we thought we'd just, we'd, we'd enter the races and and have a go. So did, did cross country mountain bike racing for a few years. And then that, that 12 hour race that I, that I told you about, that happened. And then it got me thinking that because I'd, I'd been, I'd swum at school and I'd also done, uh, some track and field, I, I could run. I, decided well, maybe I should put all three together and uh, at some point do a triathlon. So at the back of my mind, I had this idea of maybe doing a triathlon at some point. But the it, 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 the thing that eventually made me get into it was a, uh, a a sort of impulsive purchase around about Black Friday. I think it was 2009. The, uh, my local bike store, who I used to buy mountain bike stuff from, sent me their... Black Friday deals. And there was this beautiful, uh, it was a felt B2 carbon fiber, TT bike with zip wheels and everything. And it was marked down from, I think it was, it was marked down from 6,000 pounds to 2,000 pounds. It's like, oh my God, this thing's like a third of the normal price. And it just that's looks great. amazing. It's like, like the F1 car of, of bikes. Uh, I'm going to go to the store and, and if it fits, I'll just buy it because it's a deal that's too good to, to pass up. So I went to the store and of course the sale because I said, "Oh, this, I've never seen a bike fit anyone better in my life." And so, so I bought it. Then I arrived home with this with this time trial bike, and my wife looks at it and she says, to me, "What do like? What are you doing with this thing? Like, this doesn't look like a mountain bike to me." And uh, so I said to her, "No, no, well, I've I've entered the London Triathlon, and so I had you're not allowed to ride mountain bikes in the London Triathlon, and this thing was it was basically, I mean, they were basically giving it away and uh. I, I bought this for the triathlon because that's what I need. And so that was my story. And then of course I had to go and enter the London Triathlon to justify my justify my story. Uh that's how I did it. So yeah, and I they they've got quite a good triathlon scene in the UK and every weekend they have these little sprints and uh everything up to Olympic. But yeah, I did, did a whole bunch of sprints, did the London triathlon and then uh yeah, I was I was doing some work one day for in Paris, and the, one of the we were running an event, and the the CEO of the events company saw my shoes, and they were you know, running shoes with elastic laces. And so, of course, he recognized that these were used for triathlon. So he said to me, "Do you do triathlon?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, I've just done the London triathlon, but I think that's that's probably it now. I'm not going to do any more." He said, right, you got to do you got to do an Iron Man. It's the best thing." And uh, he is a big guy. guy. He was like six six foot five and two hundred pounds. And I thought, well, this guy can do it. And he seems to have a lot of fun doing Iron Man. Maybe I could do it too. And he, he sat down with me right then and said, let's enter Iron Switzerland. Let's do it next year. And so that so I just entered it because this guy told me to basically. And that that was how I got into Iron And I just as soon as I did my first one, I was just I was just so hooked. I just I just couldn't stop entering these things. I, I decided Iron Switzerland and on the seventh of 10th of july and then i did vine man three weeks later and then i did a challenge race like six weeks after that and i just lo- i just did so many of these things and then i heard about ultraman and you know when when you do iron man and it's you know, something that was very intimidating at first starts becoming much more familiar and much more uh you know much less intimidating then you start looking for what's next and just the idea of ultraman and it, mainly the the one in Hawaii where you circumnavigating the whole island just seemed uh, really fascinating to me. And so that's, in the back of my mind, I knew I wanted to do it one day. And then, yeah, actually when I moved to to Boulder, my neighbor, a guy named Billy Edwards, he had actually won Ultraman Florida one or two years before I did. And so by that stage, I decided to do Florida at some point, mainly to qualify for Hawaii. And yeah, you know, with the peer pressure of having a neighbor that had actually won it really got me motivated to uh, to just get it done. And that was where Ultraman started.
0: What year was the first Ironman?
1: 2011.
0: 2011. Yeah, I did Zurich in 2015 and was going down memory row yesterday. That's why I, I asked. And so for those in the audience, especially if you're owning bike stores, your advertising does work, right? Send out those flyers. It get... get do a deep discount on your felt B2 and and you never know whose career is going to be spurred from that. Rob, uh, uh, yeah. audience member wants to get in touch with you. What's the best way for them to reach out?
1: Uh, so I, my website is robgray.org. That's R-O-B-G-R-A-Y.org. And there's a contact button on there. And they can they can get my uh, Instagram on there. They can There's a contact form. Uh, Instagram is robo-ultra. Like, so like robo-carpet instead of carpets ultra. And yes, yeah, so Instagram and, and just the website, that's the, that's the best place to, that's the best starting point and they can get hold of me on that.
0: Fantastic. And we'll include those links in our show notes for sure. Rob, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. I, I loved how we started off talking about our life lessons and the good times and the bad times and how we handle each of those, knowing that the other could be coming. Um, and then our conversation about the decision you and your family made to make a huge change in your life. I think there's a lot of learning there for our audience members. And I asked my audience, if you got some value out of this conversation, please like our show, please subscribe, please spread Rob's message, because there is a lot of nuggets within this conversation uh, for people to grab onto and make some impact on their life. Again, Rob, it's been awesome having you here. Um, Good luck at the end of the month. Am I right that you're competing in the world championships at the end of the month?
1: I'm actually, I'm doing it as a relay this year. So because it's the, I think it's the 40th anniversary uh, of Ultraman, they, they opened a relay division. And uh, my longtime crew chief, Ian Hersley, has always wanted to do Ultraman Hawaii, but he hasn't wanted to do another Ultraman to qualify for it. So he, he wanted to do the relay this year. And that suits me fine because there's no ways I, I haven't had time to do all the, all the training required for Ultraman at, at the level I need to be. Which requires you know twenty five to thirty hours a week of training, uh, so I've just been doing the running and uh, yeah, not even much of that. So I, I don't know if I'll even survive. So that I'm I'm going to be hoping to to complete it in one piece. That that'll be a good result.
0: Well, I think that's the feeling we have every time our toe is on the starting line. It's like, have I done enough? We'll find out in the next handful of days. Yeah. Well, well good luck. We'll keep an eye on you for that and. Uh, Again, it's great having you on the show. I appreciate your time.
1: Perfect. Thanks so much, Greg. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. To hear more inspiring stories and strategies around the endurance mindset, be sure to subscribe below or visit us at chiefenduranceofficer.com. Until next time, keep pushing those limits.